welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lin. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Well, welcome back, dear listener. I appreciate you showing up for another week. Now, we are headed into June, and in June, I want to dedicate the entire month, four episodes, to one particular overthinking narrative, and that is sometimes our fear of conflict. Now, for many of us, we see conflict in negative terms, and rightly so, but conflict is also very important in the professional world when we show up every day working. You know, conflict is naturally going to come up when you have two people coming from two different backgrounds. There's going to be a clash of ideas, a clash of decisions, a clash of reasonings and and attitudes. And so conflict in the workplace, I think, personally, it is a very important skill. Now, conflict does have its negative connotations, but here I'm talking specifically about constructive conflict. Now, I have my particular take on it, and I will share those musings with you this week. But I've also reached out to three experts in the fields of mediation, arbitration, and negotiation. Now, next week, you will hear from a gentleman called Aloysius Go from Singapore, one of the top mediators there. I've also reached out all the way down into Brazil to Camila Costa, who is also another mediator, another negotiator. And finally, the third week to round off the month is a friend and a very good negotiator, Roar Tun Vegard. Now, all three of these have worked in mediation and negotiation. In the world of mediation, arbitration, and negotiations, it is rife in disagreement and conflict. But the whole point of these disciplines, the communication, is to understand how to resolve situations, to find compromise, to find a complementary mutual way forward. And so what I want to do is tap into these expertise because the conflict that we sometimes face is not always on the other side of the table. Sometimes the first initial conflict is with ourselves. It's getting over that narrative to have that difficult conversation, to give someone feedback, to question, to understand what the expectations are. So I dedicate the month of June to constructive conflict. This week, I want to be talking about constructive confrontation. Understanding what resilience means also means we need to sometimes find that that inner strength, that inner courage, that self-confidence to step up, to have a difficult conversation with someone. And that is not so easy for many of us. Many of us tend to naturally shy away from conflict because of several reasons. And part of what I want to do this week is explore those reasons and to give you ways to move beyond that 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 those those hurdles in order to have those conversations because difficult conversations are part of the landscape of having healthy working relations and healthy private relationships and also at the end of this podcast i've also included a book review that explores deeper 
on the ability how to manage situations, how to manage team performance, how to have difficult conversations and to create a feedback culture. So with that said, I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you find the knowledge practical and that you can use it in your day to day. All right, let's slip into the stream. Many of us dislike having challenging conversations with someone, especially if we consider them to be diligent and hard workers who only need a development in a couple of places. What happens quite often is instead of taking up the issue with the person when it's relatively small and it's minor, we tend to procrastinate. We tend to wait around only to watch a balloon into a more severe performance issue later. Now, what makes these discussions so tricky before we even start them, that's a good question. Why do we feel increased pressure and feel reticent about having these conversations? What is it that we're, what is it that we're afraid of? Now, the question is, do any of these questions resonate with you? For close to two decades, I've been helping people to answer these types of questions. I usually start by exploring with the client the thoughts that fuel their reluctance to have these tough and sometimes difficult conversations. Over the years, I've heard many reasons and excuses why clients don't want to have these conversations. And I include myself on this list. You know, they might say, I don't want to hurt anyone. I may have to deal with someone's irrationality or emotional outbursts. I may have my own emotional outbursts. I hope the issue will resolve itself. I don't want it to end up looking like the bad guy. I don't want to rock the boat. I might discover I'm part of the problem and I might have to change too. I may have to engage at a deeper level with this person. It takes too much time, time I usually don't have. I may have to share information that makes me feel uncomfortable. Other team members question my credibility because I fail to address a problematic issue with someone. I risk losing people. I dwell on issues without taking action. The stress undermines my health and my peace of mind. I try to convince myself that they must see the problem and they will resolve it. When we take a moment to reflect on any of these points, we realize that the first difficult conversation we need to have is often with ourselves. The concerns around confronting are always variations of one underlying fear, that we will somehow hurt the other person or get hurt ourselves. The reason we tend to avoid engaging people is to avoid potentially damaging the relationship. But unfortunately, the paradox of not facing an issue is that we end up hurting the relationship. Maybe the issue will resolve itself. What if we just let it go and do nothing? That is also a choice, but many of us know too well where that leads. Our frustration towards the person grows because we see neither the person changing nor the situation resolving itself. When we take a moment to dive deeper into our frustration, we also realize they spring from our lack of will to give feedback to the other person, to confront the other person. Now, our inaction to talk guarantees an outcome we don't want. We will continue to get the behavior we don't want. Our indecision to act puts at risk our working relationship with the person we need to confront. That difficult conversation we need to have with them. 
It also puts at risk our credibility in the eyes of others because they see we lack the courage and professionalism to deal with an issue that needs handling. Our inaction leaves us doing in our own thoughts. Negative thoughts, feelings, and actions will taint our communication, which often takes the form of sarcasm, cynicism, belittling, and you know, also talking behind people's backs. Inaction inevitably damages the relationships and respect we have for the other person. The threat of confrontation. Now, we often frame confrontation negatively, which leads our brains and bodies to interpret such interactions as threatening. The typical response to any threat, perceived or actual, is to avoid it. Well, welcome to the human race. We all do this. This reaction is the default survival response of our central nervous system to keep us safe and out of danger. Now, to override these primal instincts requires us to be cognizant, to be aware of how we frame difficult conversations. If our brains interpret tough conversations as a threat, well, our bodies respond in the same manner. Emotionally, we will feel an assortment of reluctance, fear, and anger which in turn elicits behavior in avoidance, defensiveness, and irrationality. I think we've all been there. Now, logically, we know relationships that avoid disagreement or disharmony are flashing neon signs pointing to some level of dysfunction. But unfortunately, we often think people will trust us if we are nice to them. We equate trust with a lack of discord. But we couldn't be more wrong. Now, one of the most significant determinants of how much trust and respect we have in one another is how we deal with discord, how we deal with disharmony. Learning how to confront people constructively is a direct way to increase confidence and credibility. Now, addressing issues around performance and communication provides us opportunities to help someone to improve and to move forward. Now, the dividends of this investment are enhanced relationships and the fostering of trust and respect. Now, how do you feel when someone has a difficult conversation with you and treats you with respect and compassion, even when you know they feel frustrated, apprehensive, and angry? I might not always like to hear the feedback. At the same time, my respect grows for that person, knowing how hard it can be to muster up that effort and that, and that courage to have that difficult conversation with me. Of course, I need to know the person is coming from a sincere and genuine place. Now, inauthentic relationships, disagreement, and challenging issues are part of the landscape and are unavoidable. A good starting point is to frame difficult conversations as opportunities to increase respect and deepen trust. However, if done poorly, it weakens respect and trust. For example, if I'm your direct report, I'm reporting to you, and you are my manager, my trust in you is built on the knowledge that you will act responsibly to help me develop and improve. I need to know that you will not become spineless and leave me to continue doing something wrong, making a bad impression or fouling up without letting me know any number of different scenarios. Now, many issues arise in the workplace where challenging someone's behavior would make a big difference. But unfortunately, we often ignore these opportunities to build trust and respect. Instead, what do we do? 
But we replace the chance to develop someone with wishful thinking that, you know what? This matter will resolve itself. It will fix itself. Now, if we continually fail to address performance and behavioral issues, the inevitable fallout impedes positive relationships, job satisfaction, and productivity. What is equally irresponsible is proceeding with a challenging conversation without a clear plan. These are the kinds of conversations we don't want to just wing it. Preparing yourself for a challenging conversation is akin to preparing for a speech or having a negotiations. We need to think thoroughly about the issue we want to address. We also want to align the intent of our message with the impact we want to leave for the intended recipient. Now, for instance, I want to address a minor issue with someone. I would like the impact of my message to be received in a light and informal manner. However, the conversation will be more serious and formal in another circumstance where a problem is being escalated. Now, in that case, I want my message impact to be sobering and maybe even have a jarring effect on that person. Now, an essential part of the preparation is to understand our motivation and our intention. Sometimes, this can be hard because our good intention can be clouded beneath feelings of impatience and irritation. That's connected to someone's behavior, their attitude, or their performance. Time is needed to uncover our intentions to have the difficult conversations while deciding on a clear script for what to say and do. Preparation is essential with the natural resistance that surfaces when we challenge someone to change. In addition, preparation is vital if we properly align our intent with the impact of the message we want to deliver. We want to build a culture of feedback loops where giving and receiving feedback is a normal behavior where the feedback is supportive or corrective. Now, I will speak more to how to give and receive and ask for feedback in a, in a future episode. But for now, preparation clears the path for people to hear the feedback within the context in which it is intended. Challenging conversations is not only feedback, it also means noticing them, commenting on their work, listening to their ideas, suggesting better methods, encouraging them to develop their plans. And it's also about being present to their ongoing development. In a sense, it's also about creating psychological safety. (laughs) And this will also be the focus of another episode. But for now, let's keep it to challenging conversations. Now, there is no doubt that it takes investment in time to uncover, plan, and structure difficult conversations. However, over time and with repeated effort, we perceive these conversations less as a threat. Our minds are more occupied with the benefits, and with this, our confidence grows. Now, procrastination becomes less desirable than confronting. Although from my experience, challenging conversations never become easy. They just become easier. Now, over the last several weeks, I've received a lot of supportive feedback, and I'm surprised at all the different places around the globe it's actually coming from. So thanks to you all for doing that. Now, one of the common feedbacks I'm receiving is, could you please, Jason, include some additional readings where we can explore and deepen our knowledge on some of the subjects you speak about? 
And I've taken this on wholeheartedly. I'm going to try to include more of these references uh, in upcoming episodes. So this week, I'd actually like to do that. I'd like to share a book that I really enjoyed and I think explores and deepens the conversation about that. And I think adding books and references to my meandering thoughts, my musings on a particular subject, actually broadens the perspective. So the book I'd like to share with you guys this week is by an author called Kim Scott. Now, she wrote a book in 2017. The title of the book is Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. Now, I will include the link to this book in the show notes. Now, it's a how-to-workplace guide for effective management. It's based on the simple idea that to be a good boss, one must care on a personal level and also challenge employees directly. And I think this is even more relevant now as we move into post-pandemic world. Now, following this simple framework can help create better relationships in the workplace while also building a culture of feedback, creating a unified team, and definitely producing better results. Now, Kim or Kim Scott draws on years of experience providing clear lessons that demonstrate how to manage people successfully while maintaining one's humanity. And I think that's so important because finding fulfillment in one's job and building an environment in which individuals enjoy their work and colleagues is so important right now. Scott opens the book by defining what exactly she means by bosses. Now, in the book, she's referring to supervisors, leaders, and managers. She mentions common mistakes managers make in the dynamic of interaction with employees. If one challenges employees without caring, it is considered what she calls obnoxious aggression. When a boss cares without providing challenges, she terms this ruinous empathy. And when one does neither, she's also termed this third part manipulative insincerity. Now, Scott goes on to explain how years of working for businesses in Silicon Valley, such as Apple and Google, and of course, running her own business led her to realize what distinguishes great bosses from bad ones. It's their capacity for building strong relationships that allow employees to Be content. I think content is the best word, but also challenge. She refers to this as radical candor. You know, Kim Scott says that bosses achieve successful results by guiding a team rather than by doing everything themselves. She states there are three key areas bosses must excel in in order to do their job effectively. Now, the first one is that bosses need to be strong guides by soliciting and suggesting constructive feedback, while at the same time encouraging feedback among others. The second key area is that a boss needs to know about team building in order to put the correct people in the correct roles in order to motivate them. The third area, well, bosses must be results-oriented, meaning they are able to manage the individuals on the team in order to deliver successful outcomes. Now, the basis of these three roles is cultivating and trusting relationship with one's employees. She introduces two dimensions in this approach. The first is to care personally, and to do so, one must commit entirely to the job and care about each team member as a whole person with a life outside of work. Now, the second dimension is to challenge directly. Now, this involves giving and receiving feedback, making tough choices, and maintaining high standards. If 
a boss can do this, this ensures trust and understanding are created, and that means the employees will feel a sense of, well, a sense of security, enough to challenge each other to solve issues and to uphold standards without always the boss diving in and intervening. Now, as she moves on in the book, Scott breaks these ideas down even further by emphasizing some key aspects of what she calls radical candor. She states that one must provide clear and honest feedback, whether it is criticism or praise, and to aid employees in understanding how the feedback can allow them to move forwards and towards their goals. She says, to accomplish this, a boss must first truly understand team members and what they want, rather than thinking of ambition in terms of moving up in the hierarchy. Instead, she recommends thinking about it in terms of growth and development, a learning journey. When it comes to the growth and development, she talks about there are two types of people. There are superstars and then there are rock stars within any organization. Now, she defines as superstars are who are people are seeking a steep growth trajectory as well as challenges and opportunities to learn and grow rapidly. Rock stars, well, she defines them as very dependable. They love and are good at their work, and they prefer a more gradual growth trajectory. A blend of both, she says, is needed for organizational growth and stability. Now, she goes on to explain that driving results as a boss is really about getting people to accomplish more collaboratively than on their own. Now, in the book, um, the author presents uh, a wheel that she calls the Get Stuff Done, or just simply GSD, which has seven sequential steps for involving you know, a, a boss's team or a leader's team in decision-making. And that means ultimately achieving better long-term outcomes. Now, each of these seven steps includes listening, clarifying, debating, deciding, persuading, executing, and learning. Now, she moves on to explain the tools and techniques to create these trusting relationships by providing effective guidance, improved team performance, and to produce uh, successful results through collaboration. When it comes to building trusting relationships, Scott talks about there are several ways actually we can do this. You know, it, one is to be sort of self-aware of what's going on inside your internal environment. It's also for that boss or that manager to pursue uh, work-life integration, to find that balance as an example to others. It's also, of course, to construct and create the, the, a good environment for, for team members where they can feel safe, where they can have that psychological safety. When it comes to providing guidance, you know, one of the major things Scott talks about is the ability to create a feedback culture. To, you know, to create that environment where giving and receiving feedback is just part of the DNA of that team. And it's through that feedback that it can provide guidance because it can be both corrective and supportive. And it's not just always top down, but that it can go laterally or it can go bottom up. When it comes to team performance, Scott recommends you know, go straight to the source, go straight to the employee, ask them, have that conversation about their ambitions, what they love doing, what parts of the job do they feel passionate about. And it's through these disciplines of having one-to-ones quite regularly that you can build trust and that you can build this, this transformative conversations that allow for more and more feedback. 
Well, this is a great way to find that intrinsic motivation. The manager doesn't always have to come up with a solution. But as Scott says, in those one-to-ones, the manager can actually go directly to the source and ask him or her, what motivates you? What do you love doing? And it's through these one-to-ones that, you know, the boss can figure out what the employee's ambitions are so that ultimately they can help them move towards their goals. I mean, personally, I thought the book was straightforward and very tool-based. Of course, this is not a light switch. You can just turn it on and then everything's great. The radical candor philosophy is going to take time and investment and time and effort. But it can be transformative as innovative ideas emerge and, and problems get solved without constantly the intervention of the boss. So if you're looking for a good book about constructive confrontation, well, this book definitely deals with that, but with so much more. Confronting anybody about anything can be a difficult difficult ride for many of us. You know, we need to deal with that inner conflict that we have. You know, we have to be aware of the narrative we're telling ourselves. And usually that narrative is working against us because most of the time to have a constructive conflict or constructive conversation, well, it's beneficial to everyone because we address the elephants of the room. We table the idea in order to move forward. Of course, we need to be cognizant of how we construct our message. We want to be diplomatic, but at the same time, diplomatic doesn't mean to be weak or soft. We can still be straightforward and get to the point, but we can do it in a way that is civil and that allows us to move towards some sort of solution. Well, I hope you found the content and my musings useful and that they can serve some purpose both professionally and privately when you have those difficult conversations. Well, folks, that brings us to an end of another episode. As usual, if you have the time, if you can give me a little time, please recommend, rate, subscribe, and suggest this podcast to someone you think it could help. Building Resilience facing adversity, well, I think these are skills that we can all learn. Until next week, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon.